Please turn your Bibles to Acts 28. The chapter before it, when you look at that, what is Paul's mission? What is Paul's God-driven mission? Paul's mission, according to Acts 27, verse 24, is that you must stand before Caesar. You must bear witness of me before the court of Caesar. That is the final mission I'm giving to you, Paul, here in this world. You will be my witness before him. God says this through his angelic messenger, and he tells him also that I am giving you all the people who are sailing with you out of my kindness towards you. You know the story of where we are at in the book of Acts, where the ship ran aground, and it was in a storm where all hope was lost. And theologian William Barclay writes, An amazing thing happened when all the hope of all these mighty men on board was lost. Paul took command. The prisoner became the captain as he was the only one with courage left. And his courage comes from his faith in God. After taking charge, Paul gave everyone a brief rebuke. Excuse me, you you should have listened to me. But after the rebuke, he told them that they needed to eat something. He knows that people who are famished and weak are no good in a crisis situation. And they still had to do their part. He knew God was going to do His part, but they needed to be ready for their side of the equation uh, to, to actually swim ashore so that they can all be saved. So he tells them to eat. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been on a boat or a ship even where the waves are high and that boat is rolling all over the place like a little toy tossed about, it's really hard to eat. And it's even harder to hold things down. And you ask yourself, well, why, why would they eat, especially if they were fearful of, of dying? Well, number one, they were starving. They hadn't eaten for 14 days. And uh, you would be totally famished after that time. Or whatever they've eaten, they ate just a little bit. They couldn't hold anything down. And the other part is more important, and that's the calmness of Paul. That Paul has a calm about him that shows that his sovereign God, who is in control, is going to bear them safely through. And because of that, there's a peace that, that passes over them. Do they understand it? Probably not. But it's being exuded from the Apostle Paul. And as it passes over them, they are calm. And they're calm enough to eat and regain some of their strength. It is that calming presence of God that is here, noting that He is in control Uh, Even though you feel like your life is being tossed about by the cares and troubles of this world, in this world we seem to find trouble after trouble, but in God you find peace and rest. So God divinely intervening through His apostles, saving everyone on board, should also show us that Paul is innocent of any crime, at least against Rome. 
There is no doubt uh, the centurion Julius believes that Paul is innocent and he believes that Paul's God is working through him because he he works to spare Paul's life. In in Roman uh, law, if, if a prisoner gets free on your watch as a soldier who's supposed to be watching out for him, you receive his sentence. And most likely it's going to be a death sentence. And so the soldiers did not want to have any mess of having to babysit these, these prisoners with the fear that some of them might escape. And if they do, their lives are on the line. So they wanted to simply just kill them all and be done with them. And, and the centurion Julius would not allow it. The commander said, no, we're not going to do that because he wanted to spare Paul's life. He wanted to spare Paul's life because he knew that it was Paul's God who had saved them. And so he protected him. He saw how God was working through Paul. Now they are on the island of Malta in chapter 28. What would happen next in this God-driven mission for God's servant. Well, let's look and see. Acts 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders, or natives, showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after praying, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as this is your word, I pray, Lord, that you would instruct all the hearts of those who are here, all who hear your word. Bless them, Lord, and and apply it rightly to our hearts. Speak through me as your servant, uh, that, that what is presented may glorify and honor you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I read this story, it, to me it has that kind of mission impossible, ultra-level kind of feel to it, where you look at a situation where 276 people are on this big ship, and they're just being blown with the wind, and there's no technology on board 
to help right the situation. There's nothing, no resources. Everything that they have available, they've used to try and keep this boat afloat. And now they are in in a completely impossible situation where the only thing that they have to look forward to is death. That's it. It's absolutely an impossible situation. How can you get out of that? I thought, you know, Tom Cruise, who plays the Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible, if he played the Apostle Paul, you would have him somehow giving instructions and and the boat would break up and finally they would make it to shore as he's the one now captaining the vessel. And he gets he gets on land and he's taking firewood uh, over to the brush fire and this viper jumps out of the fire and latches on to his, his hand, putting his, his fangs into... Uh, Tom Cruise's hands as he's playing the Apostle Paul. And of course, Tom, he, he gets his spy watch out, pushes a button. These two little electrodes come out on either side of the bite after he shook the snake off. And he pushes the face of the, of the watch and it sends an electrical sh- charge through his hand to break down the toxins. So it's simply absorbed into his, into his body. Or he has this, this syringe full of a serum that that can, can uh, remedy any kind of snake venom. And he s- snaps that into his hand. And, you know, that's, that's what we think of is, okay, there, it's an impossible situation, but there's got to be a way to overcome it, right? Well, you know, the Mission Impossible movies are fake, <laughs> they're fraudulent, right? They're all fabricated in studios and on sets that are all choreographed to make some impossible feat look real when it's not real. Some of the action sequences may be real, to be fair, but winning the day against all odds is not real in the movies. This is real. All Paul has is the power of God at his disposal. There are no gimmicks. There is no technology. It's just the power of God working through this man. That's it. And that's enough. He has the power of God and God does deliver Paul from death there. But we need to understand that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. Solomon writes in Proverbs 16, verse 4, The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. God has a purpose behind everything. That is why this message is called God-Driven Missions. God-Driven Missions. Like one pastor said, God is not your co-pilot. If you're a Christian, God is not your co-pilot. God is the pilot for the Christian. Your faith is in His hands. His faith is not in your hands or my hands. If the latter were the case for Paul and all these sailors, they would have perished at sea And we would not be reading this story written by the hand of the Christian Dr. Luke who was on board. Moreover, of all the Gospel writers, Luke is the most careful in capturing the details of what actually happened. Now, when you are sent somewhere to do something, what are you on? You're on a mission, right? When you're sent to do something, you are on a mission. 
When you look back at Acts, look at Acts 28, we see that God-driven missions contains these five marks that all begin with S. Okay, this is some alliteration for you to remember by. They are service, suffering, sovereignty, salvation, and support. These five marks show forth what missions is all about. God-driven missions is all about. It's service, suffering, sovereignty, salvation, and support. God-driven mission begins with service. Service is giving of your time and talents and resources. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, this is 42b through 45. Jesus says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of of the Gentiles lord it over them. They make sure you know who is in charge and who will be served. Thank goodness we don't have that problem in our country today, right? This lording over stuff. So the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, although He surely should be, but He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom For many, this is what Paul is saying in Philippians 2, that Christ was obedient to His heavenly Father, serving Him and serving us, and being obedient even to death on a cross, so that He would would render His life as, He would give His life as a payment for our sin. This is the mission of Christ in this world. We are called of God to continue this mission. In Acts chapter 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul is directing the soldiers and sailors towards God, first in serving them. He was a prisoner. They weren't listening to him. He doesn't know anything. It has to come to the point where we're at the end of ourselves, where we've given up all hope, And we know that there's no way out of this situation. And then what happens? God speaks through His servant. And He says, there is a way. No, there's not. Yes, there is. The way is through Jesus Christ. God has made a way for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith in Him, He will see you through this storm. And they listen. God sees them through the storm. He sees them safely to the other side. Well, Paul continues to serve others, just as Jesus has laid out. If you want to be greatest of all, you must make yourself least of all and servant of all. And so, well, some of them, I think they were probably traumatized, wiped out. Uh, I can remember being on fishing trips where we went across rough waves for a couple days and it just beats your body up and you get to, you get home and you almost have to sleep the next day just to just to work it off and and if these guys are 14 days on the sea like this their bodies were beaten up terribly and they were some of them were probably just lying on the shore 
uh, just trying to recover and recuperate. What's, what's the Apostle Paul doing? He's serving. <laughs> I don't see the centurion serving or the soldier serving or any of the other people serving. I see Paul serving. He begins by getting firewood. Because we know, as it was cold and wet yesterday, there's, the wet cold is colder than the dry cold, right? And they were wet and cold and miserable. And the fire was warming them up. So Paul went to get some more firewood and, uh, and brought it to the fire. It is that issue of, of, of the golden rule, service and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. So this is Paul serving. And, and to be fair, the natives of the island of Malta were serving them as well. Luke notes an unusual kindness in the natives of Malta. Verse 2 says, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and, and was cold. Uh, part of that could be that there was a Roman centurion in their midst with his, with his soldiers, and they wanted to honor the Roman Empire. They didn't want any trouble with them. But it could have been that that's a code of hospitality for them on the island, that they were just friendly, friendly people. Uh, either way, it is important then to show kindness to others who do not know him. And we see that great kindness of God uh, that is poured out even more so. We'll look at that in a moment. But another mark of God-driven missions is suffering. There's a spiritual battle that's going on every day in this world. Every day. There's spiritual warfare taking place. And that spiritual warfare is raging over the gain of man's soul or his loss. And we know as we read about Jesus that he, as Isaiah says, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. It was tough on Jesus to be in this world. To keep yourself humble when people who know nothing about the kingdom, know nothing about your heavenly Father, they think they're smart, but they have not a clue, are telling you what you should believe, or how you should act, or what you should think. To keep yourself under control instead of going like this is amazing to me. But it causes grief. And, I, and even when Jesus is up on a hill looking down upon Jerusalem, and He says like a mother hen, I wish I could gather you in. This is the grief that He felt is, as God's people. I wish I could gather you in. But you would not come. You would not listen. That causes grief. When a loved one will not listen to the Gospel, will not, does not want to know Jesus Christ, wants to turn their back, it causes grief, does it not? There are other types of griefs and pain besides just the simple physical suffering in this life. The battle rages, and on Malta this battle is displayed or illustrated by this viper driven out of the fire that lashes out at Paul and fastens onto his hand. Now, the viper may not have been very active at first because it was cold and wet. He was probably laying still. But once you put something like that in the fire, he wakes up pretty quickly. <laughs> and he was pretty angry. And he lashes out at Paul and fastens to him. So that snake became very active. And I was thinking it's kind of like when Satan knows the fires of hell are getting closer. And he's going to be a lot more active in this world as a result. When he knows the judgment's coming, 
his activity is going to ramp up like, like crazy. And he will be more active in this world. But when the servant of God is bitten by the poisonous strike of the evil one, it is a matter of shaking him off into the fire as we are protected and preserved by the love of God through Jesus Christ. Truly, apart from Christ, the devil's prosecution of us condemn us in the presence of God. He can pronounce us guilty, and we are guilty because of our sin in the presence of God, but not when we are clothed in the righteousness of of Christ Jesus. That's the whole beauty and glory of the cross of Christ that we're going to get to in a little bit about salvation, is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, and the devil can't say anything against Christ. Because the Lord Jesus, when He said it is finished, He had won the victory, not just for Himself, but for all his people who put their faith in him. So that righteousness that is imputed to us is the love of God. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Paul lays it out. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's what Satan's trying to do, right, all the time, his demons. Separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, these are all aspects of suffering, or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, the believer in Christ Jesus suffers. We suffer loss. We think of those who have lost loved ones in our congregation. We suffer as we get older and we get weaker. We suffer from relationships. We suffer from the presence of sin, not just in the lives of others, but in our own lives. There are are many ways that we suffer in this world. But it is God's love towards us that drives any fear that results from suffering, that results from pain, drives that fear away. I'm always amazed as a pastor when I see a believer on their deathbed and they are suffering, terribly suffering physically. I know we try and medicate it a little bit, but you could still see the suffering in there. And yet, what drives that suffering out is the presence of God's people and the presence of His love. His perfect love drives out that fear. And what takes its place is that calm assurance, that peace that surpasses understanding. It is that peace that knows that God is sovereign and that they are being upheld by God's love. The God who has promised salvation through His Son will see you through. And by promising it and being sovereign, He has the power to do it. So acknowledging, this is another mark of the mission of God. Acknowledging and preaching God's sovereignty. God is the one who is in control. 
God's sovereignty is on display in God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. Read the Bible through. From cover to cover, you will see it. It is unmistakable. And however we want to chip away at it, because we don't like that idea, it's still there in plain sight. From cover to cover. We see God's sovereignty in creation. We see it on display through world history. We see God's sovereignty on display in the cosmos, setting all things in order. Revelation 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, all things, by your will. They were created and have their being. Another mark of God-driven missions coming out of God's sovereignty is salvation through Jesus Christ. We've already touched upon it, but uh, Peter says in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else but Christ alone. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The only salvation, the only gateway to God is through Christ Jesus. There's no other way that God has established for us by which we may be saved. This was displayed by God uh, for the people of Malta who were waiting for Paul to swell up and die. Well, you might have escaped one judgment, Paul, but justice has proven right. You're not going to escape this one. You obviously are a murderer or some kind of criminal, or this venomous snake wouldn't have fastened on to you. And now you're going to die for your sin, for your transgressions. <laughs> Verse 4 says, When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. Well, that didn't convince them. You look at the next few verses, verse 6, they waited. And they waited a long time, it says. Uh, they probably didn't have a lot more to do, but this is probably far more entertaining to them. And they're just watching him. You know, I, I would feel a little uneasy after being bitten by a snake and people are just staring at me, waiting for me to kill over. <laughs> that would make me a little uncomfortable. But Paul is, is continuing with business. And after they watch for a long time, they realize he's not going to die. He's going to live. And they, they, they see him as a god. Well, Paul is not a god, but his god is with him. And he did save him. The sign always points to the greater miracle of how Jesus saves you from sin and makes you right with God. Remember the, the paralytic, Jesus said to him, Which you know, son, your sins, your sons, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees leaders over there, they're getting angry because they know that only God can forgive sins. A doctor can, can bring some healing to a person. The priest as well. God's Spirit can work through them. But only, only God forgives sins. And so Jesus says, which is easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven. Arise, take up your bed and walk. To show you that I have power to do both. 
I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and walk. What happened? The man got up, and he walked away. Which means what? Jesus also has the power to forgive sins. Why? Because he is God. That's why we preach Christ crucified. That's why we preach salvation through Christ alone. Because he alone has the power to forgive our sins before the Heavenly Father and reconcile us to God. The sign of this power to save continues. You look at verses 7 through 9. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul, that was basically a death sentence for him, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when, he had ta- and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Signs all pointing to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the lesser miracle pointing to the greater miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. The last mark of God-driven missions is support. Missions do need support. They need material support and spiritual support. And God works in people's hearts to support the labors of God-driven missions. Verse 10 says, They also honored us greatly, the people of the island, on Malta. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. They found another ship. But all the supplies they needed, all that was lost because of the storm was resupplied through these people on Malta. This has a, the feel of Job chapter 42, verses 10 through 11. You remember Job was a rich man, wealthy, wise, powerful, righteous in the eyes of his neighbors, and even in the eyes of God. And Satan said, let me at him. He'll curse you to your face. And for whatever reason... God's purposes, he allowed it. And we'll see the purpose in the end. So Satan comes in. First, he destroys everything that Job owns. He he kills all the children in his family. He, He either steals or destroys all his livestock. Everything, all his resources are wiped away. It's the storm. It's the storm where Paul... And, and the captain and, and the sailors and, and the soldiers are on this boat and they lost everything in this storm except for their lives, right? They spared their lives. And in the end of the book of Job, what happens? Job repents and God raises him up as a priest for everyone around. And if you look at uh, verses 10 through 11... What you see in that is that his family members come to console him. And that each one gives him a gold ring and silver and resources. They're coming to replenish what was lost. God is working through these people. Job is now a priest on behalf of God to bless them. And they are in response blessing Him, providing for Him and restoring what was taken from Him. 
so that he is now again one of the, if not the richest men in the East with various resources. That is an image again of what's going on here in Malta. How everything that has been lost has been restored by God through the people who have been blessed by God through Paul who is His servant. His priest to them. For us, we need to remember not to let the storms of life keep us from our mission that God calls us to do. One stormy night, Hudson Taylor, who is a missionary to China, was scheduled to speak in Birmingham, England at the Severn Street schoolroom. His hostess attempted to stop him from going there because uh, of the torrential downpour, telling him that it would likely be canceled because of the terrible storm. But he said, was it not announced for tonight? He then said, I must go even if the only one who's there is the doorkeeper. The meeting was attended by less than a dozen people, but there was an unusual outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power at that meeting. And half of those present either became missionaries or gave their children as missionaries, while the other half became regular supporters of Mr. Hudson's mission. When God is driving, He will get you where you need to go. Even before the emperor if that is where He is calling you to testify. For you and me, we need to be faithful with the mission God entrusts to us. Serving and even suffering for Jesus. Preaching His sovereignty and salvation. And trusting in God to provide for us whatever we stand in need of along the way. Remembering that God is faithful and that He loves us And in His sovereign power, He will keep us until we are with Him in glory. Amen.